0: New York really turned out to be such a defining point in my life. I was in this amazing city. I felt safe. I was in love. I felt loved. I stumbled into a line of work that gave me purpose, that kind of set me on the path to becoming an entrepreneur. I became a mom in New York. I even met one of my co-founders in New York. I mean, who knew that following my heart would lead to such a epic adventure?
1: Welcome to Start Right Here, where I talk to BIPOC beauty pros about breaking into the industry, standing out, and defining success for themselves. I'm your host, Corinne Corbett. I'm an OG beauty director turned consultant, but I'm also a dot connector. What does that mean? I love linking and sharing ideas, information, and people so that we can all succeed. And I do this show because I'm an advocate for creating an equitable, inclusive beauty industry and this show is one way to bring you the information if you want to take a seat at the table or build one of your own so let's get into the show did you know that 40 percent of the world's population has unmet skincare needs we're going to find out more about that noelle michaud is the ceo and co-founder of 456 Skincare. And what's cool about this company is that they're democratizing the foundational science. So we're talking about the nitty gritty, the science of skincare with an aim toward revolutionizing beauty and giving those of us with daring degrees of melanin in our skin amazing opportunities for great products. So welcome, Noelle. Noelle.
0: Well, thank you so much, Corinne. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited.
1: I am really excited to have you here as well, because this is probably our second international show. And to be able to talk about beauty and BIPOC community and with a global view is really, really exciting to me.
0: It is. It is an exciting community that's often kind of bundled up together. So it's really interesting to see that today we're able to kind of walk away from that unique story of us.
1: I want to start with, this is the question I ask everybody, was the beauty industry a destination or a detour for you?
0: In all honesty, neither. (laughs) It was more circumstantial. Life has a funny way of showing you how to Feel the void within by putting you on a path that you didn't even know you needed to be on and that happened for me in the beauty industry I never grew up dreaming to work in the beauty industry not even to be an entrepreneur I very much come back from a background that is all about safety so find your little lane stay there be safe don't try to reach for too high because this system is working against you and you will be disappointed. And so beauty for me was a job that I landed out of necessity when I decided to move to New York to be with my boyfriend. And I found myself becoming more passionate about the product, about the people at the receiving end of this product. And also about the impact that beauty can have on individuals and especially in under-addressed communities. So it was never a destination. It was not even a detour. But it did give me the canvas to dare to dream bigger and to create, even that world, create. I was never put in a position where I could conjugate the verb. Beauty gave me that, a way to create something that was healing for myself, that could be healing to others, and to dare defy the limitations of my circumstances. And it gave me a purpose, and I'm so grateful for that.
1: That's wonderful. Let's talk about your background. Where did you grow up? And you talked about safety. How did how you grew up impact your ideas around beauty?
0: So I'm a French nationalist, but I was actually born in Central Africa in a country called Cameroon but I was raised in Normandy in France and so I moved to France to be with my new family and this happened because my mom passed away and we have this amazing culture in our family. I think this is widely done in most of Western Africa. When a family member passes away, if they have children, the children are adopted by members of the family. And so this is what happened for me. And my aunt, my mom's sister, became my mom. And it just happened so that she lived in France. And so just like that, I had to move to France to be with my new family. So I landed in Little Village in Normandy, not very diverse, and it was very disconcerting for me to go from a place where I blended in. I never thought about my skin color or anything, to just be in a place where I stood out so much. Very bizarre. And where I grew up, obviously, a greater emphasis was placed on Eurocentric beauty standards and All that was described as beautiful was not me. And that's just the perception of beauty that I grew up with. Beautiful is not you. And I really believed it, you know, until I was in my 20s. And then I really had to learn this is from self-coaching. This is for also seeing... Other black women, darker skinned women, especially black American women, kind of owning up to their beauty. That really helped me to learn how to embrace my own and my natural features. And I started to find a way to define beauty in a way that worked for me. And that was really unconditional acceptance and love. It was such a process. It still is a process today.
1: I could only imagine going from a community where, as you said, you blended in and there was not this, you look different from me, something wrong with you kind of experience. And then culture shock as you were very young. So that was a challenge.
0: Yeah, it really was. And it's amazing just how resilient children are, but also children that are immigrant, because we do have this ability to, at least that's how it went out for me. I was able to analyze my environment and really understand what it meant to be me in this new society and just how positional skin was. And so There's two ways that you can kind of react in these new situations. You can try to rebel and kind of tense against the system, which frankly it never helps. But for me, I was really able to analyze it and figure out how I was going to adapt to integrate and even assimilate. Maybe I took it a little bit far, but after I kind of had to learn how to pedal back to deconstruct all of that and find myself again. It was such an interesting Process really. (laughs) Right. In that
1: finding yourself, did you buy beauty products? And if so, do you remember what the first product you purchased was?
0: Growing up in a small village, beauty shopping was very limited to pharmacy or supermarket. Those were your options. But my mom's go to products were these pharmacy kind of classic brands like Topi Creme that we bought mainly for the body because it got dried. But it's really when I moved to Paris, I was 17 and a half when I got my A-level and I decided to go for the big city. Obviously, my parents were super scared for me. But it's when I got to Paris to go to university that I experienced my first beauty purchase, like just getting in the store, the feeling of seeing all these amazing beauty products and picking up something for myself. I could remember it like it was yesterday. And so I go in a store and I buy my very first oil serum from a brand called Yves Rocher.
1: Yes, I know it.
0: I really love this brand for a long time because they've been around since the 60s. And really known for being the pioneer of cruelty-free and let me tell you this, it felt like a serious upgrade, you know, from the shea butter, the coconut oil. And my mom used to bring a lot of stuff from Cameroon. Very good for you, but so raw and filtered, you know, that natural smell. This, It just felt really luxurious and indulgent. And this is also when I learned about the importance of really cleaning your skin before you got to bed. And so I just loved going through this little routine because I knew I was going to apply my serum and it was like such a reward and I loved it, loved it so much.
1: So it's like this luxury pampering experience at 17. That's major. At 17, I don't think I was even thinking about that yet.
0: I mean, I didn't have the choice because something really interesting happened to me when I moved to Paris. Obviously, I grew up in the countryside There's a lot of nature around. Never sneeze a day in my life. I moved to Paris. Overnight, I become allergic to so much. And I'm having these skin issues, acne, the acne scars that come. And that was pollution. So that really set me on the path to searching for beauty products. Like I had to find the solutions because before I didn't have any of these issues beside the fact that my skin was just really dry because where we live was cold not a lot of sun it's just super cold so just moving to the big city obviously you have many more opportunities to experience beauty but it also became a necessity because my skin started acting all sorts of way because of pollution. After you finished university what was your first job? So I studied business and marketing I never really had like a plan for my studies. I was kind of going with what was possible and what I could do. I wanted to go to business school, but my parents couldn't afford business school for me. So I went to university. So lucky that in France, we have an amazing public system where you can really get great education even if you're not going to business school so I studied marketing then went to London to continue my bachelor's degree but in terms of jobs obviously I supported myself throughout school so as a student I did All the student jobs that you could possibly imagine, anything, babysitting, cleaning lady, cashier, waitress, kitchen porter, receptionist, sales assistants, tutoring, all of it. But when I graduated, actually graduated from the London Metropolitan University in London, and I started working as a headhunter. And that was my very first job, working in an executive search company. I didn't have a plan. I needed to make money, right? (laughs) It was like, when you've been a starving student for such a long time, you're like, I'm just going to go after the opportunity and do whatever I need to do to get the money. And so I got hired in this company. And basically, I had to find retail professionals and offer them expatriation in the UAE. Back in the day, Dubai was such a bustling place, tax-free. It was so new and everyone wanted to go there. But this job was really about prospection because that's what you do. I don't know if that's ever happened to you to get a phone call for someone who says, hey, I think I can get a better job for you.
1: (laughs) I've never had that kind of phone
0: call. (laughs) Obviously, a lot of people just go, clack, (laughs) goodbye. So a lot of prospection really requires like effort, persistence, and patience. It can be very discouraging at times because you do face a lot of rejection, but I think that was like a great strength and resistance training <laughs> for life in general. So then you would say that those qualities that you just described, you use today,
1: like being able to rebound, to be resilient, actually even to sell because you were selling people on an idea.
0: Yes, you're selling them on the prospect of a more exciting life with a better revenue, somewhere sunny. Obviously, you are in England. (laughs) This resonates with people. Did you say sunnier, more money? Obviously, (laughs) but you just had to get to those people first. So yeah, it was a very interesting kind of a first job that I had there. And then I continued a career that was never like this linear path. I went back home And I started working in a completely different sector as a consultant in business intelligence, which got me working for Sanofi Aventis, the pharmaceutical company. And I'm there, I'm still very young. And I realized that the glass ceiling is going to be upon me so, so fast because I do not have that master degree. The French system is very specific about this thing. And so I went back to school. At age 24 to do my master's degree. And then I did an MC in international purchasing. And that's when I started working as a buyer for Heineken. <laughs> so it was what was possible at the moment. I had no plan. I was very confused about what I wanted to do with my life. And I just needed to make a living.
1: But then you made a radical decision to move to New York.
0: Yes. There are moments like that that really define the rest of your life. And I think this was One of those moments for me, I decided to leave my life in France behind to move to New York City with my boyfriend. I knew nobody uh, in New York. I didn't have any friends, but I was in love. I was ready for the adventure and leaving everything behind was super scary, but also staying in a place where I didn't feel at my place really. I didn't feel at home and nothing felt fulfilling. That was even scarier for me. And I was like, you have nothing to lose. If it doesn't work out, you just come back home and voila. And so I moved to New York to be with Julian, which obviously turned out to be a great decision because we're still together. We have two beautiful children and we've built a life together. So that was a good decision there. But New York really turned out to be such a defining point in my life. I was in this amazing city. I felt safe. I was in love. I felt loved. I stumbled into a line of work that gave me purpose, that kind of set me on a path to becoming an entrepreneur. I became a mom in New York. I even met one of my co-founders in New York. I mean, who knew that following my heart would lead to such an epic adventure? And it's almost like
1: a hallmark movie or sitcom where, you know, you follow your heart and everything works out.
0: But it's real and it's a black girl too. (laughs) It's really funny because my family was like, Noelle, something is very wrong with her. She is very unstable. She finished her degree. She's working for a great company. She has so many job opportunities. Why would she move away with a boy that's just so not like her. Yeah, all my friend told me, you're going to regret this. This is not a good idea. And his friends as well, but I proved everyone wrong.
1: So let's talk about the great job you've stumbled into. How did that
0: come to pass? How did you get the job? It really was. It was a job. It was not like a career. That's how it started. So you move to New York, and you know how New York is one of the cities that just shakes you out of your comfort zone, it pushes you to dare to dream bigger. You're surrounded by so much energy, innovation, creative and driven individuals you see your own partner hustling as an entrepreneur in new york city and that really inspires you to deeply think about the impact that you want to make in the world like how you want to feel and I get to New York and I was so confident that I was going to get a job. It's like, Noelle, you are good at your job. You can get about with English. This is going to be a piece of cake. I get to New York. I start getting in interviews, obviously, to get a job in purchasing. And Every time I go to an interview, everything goes amazing. I talk to the purchasing manager, the director, to say, we love your profile, now go talk to HR. And this is where it always blocked out for me because I didn't have the working visa. And for them, it was really hard to hire someone to do a job that an American person could do. And I kind of spent five months without working. This is the first time in my life. I've been working since I was like 15. This is the first time in my life I don't have a job. So I was losing my mind. I was really losing a sense of me because being independent was such a huge part of my identity. So Noelle, working, big part of the identity. Five months, no job in New York. I am losing it. And a friend introduced me to this French guy who was setting up his e-commerce agency in New York City. This was already a very successful agency in France. And so they were bringing it to New York. They were managing a group of French brands in luxury makeup, perfume. And I went there for an interview and I told him I don't have any experience in beauty absolutely not. All I know is that I can never find beauty products that work for me. So this is interesting. And they say, look, you've had like an amazing career so far and you seem like a very versatile and adaptive person. So here is where we would need you. I was like, yeah, that sounds amazing. When do I start? I don't care about the money. I just needed to get to work. And this really started like a job. And I was able to really work my way up a senior level role because I just threw myself into this role. And actually, I loved it because it was so diverse. E-commerce was so interesting because you look at social media aspects of things, you look at managing the website bringing in the products from Europe, the legal aspects of it, talking to journalists, to influence it was so diverse. And I was like, hmm, I really like being in this kind of a diverse and very dynamic role. And it's really being in that position and building a community around one of the brands that I was managing that was Black Up Cosmetics. So back in the day, it's really, really complicated to find a makeup brand that works for darker skin tone and black up cosmetics was one of those rare brands luxury makeup for darker skin tone. I tried it. I was like, Oh my God, I do not look gray. I think I actually look good. The undertones actually work for my darker skin. So I really fell in love with that brand. And it's when I was developing it with a community of makeup artists, the editors, also the customers. I just loved talking to customers that I started seeing this pattern. Not only black women, but also Indian women, women that have higher melanin content in their skin, keep complaining about the same thing. Oh, is black going to do skincare? We are not able to find great skincare products, something that hydrates enough. Hyperpigmentation is an issue. The skin is always dull. I was like, wait a minute. These women here in the US, they are complaining about the same things that we complain about in Europe, and we find that normal because Europe is not very diverse. Where well, obviously we're not have inclusivity here, but this is America, the most diverse country on earth, where the African American population is so visible and so powerful, where the Asian community is so powerful. How comes we are complaining about the same thing? So I was like, this is a global issue. There is something going on about people having melanin in their skin and them not finding that satisfaction and the results that they want with skincare products. And the idea, the desire to kind of act upon that piece of information, it was born there, but it was more like a dream, but I was still held back by a lot of fear. I had so much fear and I made a lot of excuses to not take the leap Right there. And so I just kind of continued working for this agency. I had my daughter there, obviously, went through postpartum hyperpigmentation. And this is when I met my dermatologist in New York City that really helped me make sense of things, explaining what is my skin, you know, the physiology, the difference. And I was like, okay. This is the beginning of something. I need to research more. I need to be really curious about this issue. I just kept having this feeling that there was something major that was happening
1: there. So it was almost like a burning desire inside, but then curiosity led you to entrepreneurship. It kind of pushed you into entrepreneurship.
0: It really did. When you stumbled upon scientific evidence that explained a pain that you've been having your own life and you've seen how women in this diverse community can get excited about having solution. I could see their excitement about having this makeup brand as something that worked for them. Even myself, I was like, well, how healing would that be? to have the same kind of solution for skincare, something that really understands our skin, that gives it that comfort, that hydration, and you don't have to go one layer, two layers, and three, and then add chair on top when you've spent like hundreds of euros to buy really expensive products. At first, it was just like something burning inside of me, but obviously, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a formulator. I am not a product of a big beauty conglomerate, right? You see a lot of entrepreneurs coming from, I've spent 15 years at this big beauty conglomerate. So I have the template, I know how to make it work, or I've been with this major tech company for 15 years, so I know how to build an organization. I was just a woman, just a customer, at a receiving end of an industry, feeling something, and I stumbled upon the information, the evidence, and I wanted to act on it. And that's how it all started, really.
1: Now you have the idea, you have the dream, you have almost like a mission. So once you have this mission that you're wanting to fulfill, tell me about the process you went through because it's not like, oh, I have this mission and you went to the formulator and they said, oh, good. Walk us through, take us through that journey because it was a journey for you to create four five, six. I really want our listeners to understand that you fought for this in a lot of ways.
0: Yes, absolutely. The work started with my own self. The very first obstacle I had to overcome was my own self-criticism and my own self-doubt and just other people's opinion. You have no idea how many ideas are kind of killed in their infancy because of the judgment that we put in it and this listening to other people. And so just this part took me years to get out of it. <laughs> we could have done this a lot faster if I feel that confident. So this is 2017. I've had my daughter in New York City in 2015. I am pregnant with my son in 2017 and we decide to come back to Europe because literally two kids in New York. is like a lot. So we come back to Europe. And at this time, I'm just going through a lot of questioning, like what to do with my life. I've moved to go to New York City. I had to change careers again. And here I am coming back to Europe. Am I changing my career again? What am I going to do? And I didn't want to go back to corporate. And this idea was still there. And the desire was growing. And I decided like this time, I was going to find the courage to go for it. So fast forward, end of 2017, I have my son. I decide to just be with him for a while. And he was eight months when I kind of sat down and started writing this concept, the vision behind 456, which was to create a 360 skincare system with topicals that were based on the physiology of darker skin tone that were really aligned with their structural and functional differences and finding that balance that allows you to get the result without antagonizing the skin. The other part was the nutraceuticals because I read so much research that was validated later by my co-founders who were scientists just how we could Tackle beauty from the inside. And the third part was about the education. All of the information that I got from my own struggle discovery with skincare at the cost of my own skin, of my own well being, and then from doing my research, I wish someone had given me this information. And I felt that just adding that part about educating people. It was so empowering because when you have the information, you're able to make better decisions about your skin. And so that was the concept. And this part about making a brand that was inclusive, again, was really inspired by science because 456 talks to 40% of the world population, but a very diverse community, culturally, ethnically, very diverse. But We have similar structures in the skin. And so the idea was to also create this house, kind of a space where a Black American woman, a Black African woman, an Indian, a brown-skinned South American could come and say, this brand understands the structure and the functions of my skin. And so the way they're doing things works for me. And it was important for me to embed that from the beginning. And so I started contacting labs, obviously thinking everyone's going to say yes to this. <laughs> no one is creating products for these communities. And I kind of learned that for a lab, doing specific research for darker skin tone was just a no no. And my only option was to take white label formulation, so existing formulas and tweak them and go to market.
1: Let me just explain to the audience what that means. So sometimes you go to a lab and they may be a contract manufacturer and they already make a product. This is our catalog, so to speak, of what we already manufacture. And what they were offering to her is, you can have anything in our catalog and we can put your label on it, but we're not changing the formulation.
0: We're not changing the formulas. You can add shade, whatever oil you want to add, and go to market with it. And there are many ways that you can decide to serve this community. But back then, I was like, wait, if I'm going to leave my babies at home and not spend time with them, I'm going to do something that feels authentic to me. It almost felt like... Using the same tools that the industry, the system has been using on my community, if I had done that, kind of like, here's what is out there. you got to use it the way it is. It didn't feel right. I didn't want to be just the black woman who founded a brand for darker skin tone, because you can do that and these products can still not be for darker skin tones. And so that kind of set me on a completely different path. When you create a cosmetic brand, usually the template is there. You go to a lab, contract manufacturers, you get existing formulas, you tweak them, you go to market. At least that's how it is for most independent brands. So I didn't want to do that. That set me on a path to finding a chemist, a formulator to help co-create the brand from the ground up. That's what I needed. Let's do it from the ground up. How did you do that?
1: You have co-founders. And generally, if you're an entrepreneur, you don't have all the skills necessary, whether it's technical or it's scientific. Most people don't possess all the skills needed to get a brand to market. So a lot of people decide to take on co-founders. But how do you find one? How did you find yours is the question.
0: It was the journey in the journey. (laughs) (laughs) And so at this point, just having called a lab, I just have this obsession that I need to find a formulator that is the only way this is gonna happen for me. And so I start calling my friends. Do you know anyone who knows anyone? Through my relationships, I'm introduced to this amazing formulator who just happens to have his own lab in Lyon, which is in the central France. I was like, wait, this is amazing. We started working together. We worked together for about like three months. Like what could this line look like? From the concept that we built, how are we really structuring the line? And then out of the blue, it was just like silence, no more news from him. And then I got an email from him saying, look, my wife doesn't want me to go to this entrepreneurial journey. We need to keep the lab functioning for our existing clients. And so I'm out. I got so depressed. I was like, no, here goes my chance. And for weeks, I was so confused. I was completely lost. I just didn't know how to get back up. And so I go online and I start searching manufacturers in France, cosmetic stuff in France. I don't quite remember how I stumbled upon the French Cosmetic Valet. I was like, oh, this is interesting. I started reading about this Cosmetic Valet. I was like, that sounds amazing. I didn't even know. France, we have some of the biggest beauty conglomerates in this country. And there is this amazing hub, just two hours east of Paris, La cosmetic Valet. And they had a program called Cosmetop, which was an initiative by the French government with some of the biggest French brands to help foster innovation in the beauty industry. And so I see on that side... Appel à projet, calling for innovative project. If you have an innovative project that meets this and this and this and these criterias, you can come and pitch your concept in front of a juror. And if the juror thinks your idea is amazing, you will be part of this network. And that will facilitate introductions to manufacturers and to the whole ecosystem. I was like, yep, that's my chance. And so I contacted them, pitched the project. They were like, yeah, this sounds amazing. Let's pitch in front of the juror. And so I actually went to the LVMH Research Center. This is where the pitch was happening. Everyone kind of looks at me. (laughs) You know, when people look at you and they're like, this is amazing, but this is also going to be painful. (laughs) And they basically were telling me, Obviously, this is like the big elephant in a room. We all see it, but no one talks about it. It's very necessary. What you're trying to do is amazing, but it's going to be hard. How can we help you? And I was like, I just put my wish list out. I would love to find a formulator to really create this with me. If we could have a lab space, I just asking for so many things. It's like at this point, what do I have to lose? And they are the one who introduced me to my co-founder Imen Jarbi, who is a doctor in pharmacy, an amazing formulator. We call her the skin healer, someone who just creates skincare for skin health, with so much respect for the human health for the planet, zero compromise. They introduced me to her because she also came to the same juror to present a patent. That she was working on. And they say, I think you should talk to this lady. I called Iman. And it was just a match made in heaven. And so the two of us were able to get an incubation through the Cosmetic program with the LVMH Research Center. And so the universe responded, I had my formulator, I got the lab.
1: <laughs> if you like what you hear. Why don't you subscribe to the Start Right Here podcast and leave a review? And please sign up for our mailing list at thebeautyroundtable.com so you will be in the know about all the good things coming. You know how many lessons that you just showed us? Perseverance. You think you're on the right path, and I think this happens to a lot of people. How many of us have started out, we have a dream, we think it's this, so you met this guy in Leon, you're working on it three months. And then they ghost you. At some point, some people, that's where they stop. But you didn't, you did research. Then you find the French Cosmetic Valley, which is like Silicon Valley for beauty. And you reach out, you pitch them. And it is akin to people going to Silicon Valley and getting venture funding for like a SaaS company, a software company or something like that. And then not only did you deliver the pitch, You asked for what you wanted instead of saying, I'm just happy to be in the room, which a lot of us do. You got past that point. So, okay, I'm here. I'm so excited. I'm not going to ask for anything. But instead, you said, "Okay, for this to work, this is what I need. And I don't need somebody to work with. I need a place to develop it. Yes, that's like genius. That's so many lessons.
0: Oh my God, that was so daring. Yeah, now when you hear it, you're like, I can't believe I did that. (laughs) Yeah, you did. (laughs) If you see this space, when you enter this space, it's so impressive. It's so daunting. It's like this humongous, beautiful temple of beauty and you see all those amazing brands displayed and you're like, what am I even doing here? Can I be here? But it also felt like that was my last chance. (laughs) And so I just had to go for it and ask for everything that I needed. And I didn't even know that they were going to help in that way. But I'm so glad that they were so pivotal in this project, really starting somewhere, getting that lab space, getting the co-founder that knew so, so much and that had the practical expertise because this is someone that had been creating prescriptive skincare such knowledge for darker skin tone and great understanding. I mean, the universe definitely delivered for me that day.
1: Right. The two of you go through this program. And then after you leave the LVMH Research Center, what's next? Were you ready to launch then or did you still have work to do?
0: We could have. We had a formula because my co-founder in Maine was coming from a place of so much knowledge of I know what to do. All we need is a space where we can actually leverage my knowledge and figure out a way to put it into an industrial process. Because it's very different when you are creating skincare as a prescription. It's really something that the doctor in pharmacy does in an office scene, but then getting it on that industrial level is different. We could have launched then just being with the incubator obviously facilitated so much for us. We were able to raise some pre-seed money because let me tell you, when you have that Christian Dior card, everyone answers. You, you call the manufacturer and say, I need this sample. They send it to you. We started pitching business angels and we had an amazing concept and then we kind of had this big name backing us. So we were able to raise some initial fund. This is what happened. We started looking for a manufacturer and here I am kind of back to where I was with the lab (laughs) and we've spent a year building a very specific formulation philosophy. This is a very specific system. And then we take it to manufacturers and everyone says, we can't do this. This is not possible. We just came with a very tough specification saying, these are our formulas that we've created to Get them to industrial level. Obviously, we need to work with you, but our water system is different. We're not using the same water that you use. We're not using the same ingredient to create texture. This is going to be a zero plastic, zero silicone zone. And we don't want anything that can disrupt the endocrine system. So in terms of the preservation, we created this very natural preservation system. But you go to manufacturers that already has their setup and their clients and you're literally nobody and you're asking them to change so much. So that was a no-no. And then we were like maybe we do something different with our money. Instead of going after the branding, the growth We are not ready because we have these formulas. We need to make sure that we're producing them in a way that is uncompromising, but we're missing one very important factor, her, the customer. We don't really know how these formulas are going to interact with her skin. And yes, we're coming from a place of science, of so much knowledge. My dermatologist, Dr. Charles, that I saw for my postpartum hyperpigmentation also was part of the project. He's one of my co-founders. Even if we have all of that knowledge, that science, we're missing one very important factor, her. And so we were like, let's just do it differently. Let's be crazy. So we decided to build our own research space and then attach a small manufacturing unit to it. And so that's what we did. And this really allowed it to have our own space, like here we can be free, we can be independent, we can be uncompromising. And we are going to then launch this brand in a way that allows us to continue the R&D, but in a way that is smart and inclusive of the community. So we launched four, five, six. I wouldn't even call it a launch. This is literally like, let's build a website because we have the product. You went beta. Like beta. We've been through, obviously, COVID was such a thing. <laughs> we have the formula, we have the packaging, we now have our own lab space, less customized formulas and put them in a customer's hand, put them in a feedback loop and really listen. Now it's time to listen to her. And this is really how we got to market in a really soft way, doing customized formulations and customers started coming back to us with so much information that, let me tell you this, If we had launched the brand back then without doing this process with the customer, we would not be the company that we are here today. I can really say that the customers were an integral part of our R&D because they've told us what works, what doesn't work. We've been able to push the balance further, you know, thanks to us and really align those ingredients, the dosage in a way that really works for them. So. From not finding a formulator to the cosmetic valet to now being in a position where we were just starting a whole nother journey. This is industrial stuff. Like We find ourselves in a position where we were in full control of our creative process and it completely changed who we were. And we didn't know that there, but we realized like, oh my God, this is such an amazing foundation for what we want to do for this community. The vision that we have for it later is to come true. I think this is the foundation we needed. And I was so glad that we can build it and have a space where we could be free. What's exciting to me about
1: what you've just said is that none of this was the traditional route. So even after the incubator, you tried to do the traditional route. And what you actually did was what we call here, lean startup methodology. So you validated your product before you started to manufacture in mass. You went and interacted with your customer. You got the feedback from the customer. You made adjustments and then you created the product. And that saves so much time, but it also kind of validates that you're solving a problem. Because you can think you're solving a problem, but if you don't talk to the customer, you're not
0: necessarily solving the problem they want you to solve. Absolutely. That is something that we realized. And it was so amazing when we started receiving feedback from the customers. One of the first things that came out was that customers were getting a cleansing purge from the product because the way we created this product is we have this vitalized water that allows the formula the ingredient to really penetrate deeper in the skin and this is so important because our research showed that darker skin tone do have a stratum corneum that is denser than white skin and you really want the skin to get the nutrients you need to figure out a way to vectorize that formula so you have that and then we are using only biodynamic ingredients and the way the formula were designed it was for skin health and the first step to skin health is skin cleansing we saw that when people use our formula if they had clogged pores anything in their pores the first thing that the product would do is get everything out kind of accelerate that cell renewal and then people will get purging spots which Obviously, you cannot know that if you don't have customers kind of testing. you like, all right, the thing is amazing because Iman was like, they have to go through it to really clean the skin and then put the skin on a path to health. But then you also have to take into account that this woman, she's a lawyer, she's a teacher, she's a nurse. She doesn't want (laughs) to go
1: to work with purging spots.
0: And so let's find a way to mitigate it and make sure that, yes, the skin is still getting the cleansing that is necessary to get healthy, but let's calm it down. And the customers, they allowed us to do that. Same for the fragrances. We had people saying, we don't want fragrance. We want more. We want medium. And so we were like, let's figure out a way to create fragrance-free for those wouldn't like fragrance and then let's even give the customer that medium fragrance and the one who love full fragrance, then they get it and let's make sure these fragrances are clean and they're aligned with the four, five, six ingredient philosophy and just giving them those options. They were so happy. Oh my God. I can't believe we can choose no fragrance of happy fragrance, but for all of the improvements that we made, they were inspired from the customers and getting their feedbacks. I mean, that was major. And we still are in that process today where before we put a product out, we have a group of customers that are testing, giving feedback. We incorporate the feedback before we put it out. Talk to me about the line now. How many
1: excuses do you have? And before you answer that, I wanted to ask you, you have very specific ingredients, even the water that you're using. How did you source all of that?
0: That sourcing part, that was interesting because a little story about when we were in the incubator, we could have access to their ingredient manufacturers, which was amazing for us because at the beginning, you need to buy such small quantities that you just don't meet most manufacturers' MOQs. And the fact that we can get them from the incubator stock, that was amazing. Obviously, we didn't think about the part where you have to actually place the orders and those MOQs. And so we get to that point we're like, okay, let's order all of our raw materials. And then the manufacturers hit us with, well, the MOQ here is 100 kilo, and that's 50 kilos and that 20 kilos. And we're like, we only need two to five. <laughs> this was like so depressing. We had to change about 50% of our ingredient list and, find other manufacturers that were able to kind of meet our MOQs, which was a blessing in disguise really as a small company. You always need to find those manufacturers that can meet you there. When you're working with the big guys, your quantities are just so insignificant to them. But the ingredient philosophy at 456 is very simple, is it has to sustain the skin, It has to sustain the human health overall, and it has to be sustainable for the planet. So we are never, ever going to put something that's just there to fill the bottle. Water is 80% of most skincare ingredients. Let's make water into an active ingredient that really brings some health benefits to the skin. So that was the first thing. The second thing was when you source ingredient, we all source from the same inky list. You have different manufacturers providing the same ingredients. And we always made sure that our ingredient went through a very thorough process of analyzing them in the lab, making sure that they didn't have nanoparticles because you can have the same ingredient. One has all of these impurities, it has a preservation system that is not aligned with how you want your preservation system to work. You can have one that is over filtered and you have the other ingredient that's just coming with a very different sort of ID. So we always made sure that all our ingredients were kind of meeting these criteria. We source from big distributors in Europe, but we also have Smaller manufacturers from Europe that we buy directly from, and those are very important relationship to have because with these manufacturers, the smaller one, you are able to go to them and say, "Can you change this raw material? Can we produce one that doesn't have this very specific part because that doesn't work for us?" And they are flexible. The big guys, they just can't do that. So it's mainly European sourcing. We have a very tiny group of ingredients that come from Korea and from Australia. We have this amazing antioxidant that we can only find in Australia. So we're sourcing it there, but it's mainly European based. That's really for the ingredients. But the main thing about the philosophy is it has to support the skin, extend the skin function, respect the overall health, and obviously the balance that melanin-rich skin needs because what I experience in the industry and that I saw and I keep seeing today is this approach to treating melanin-rich skin that believes that we have to do it so strongly. It has to be so strong. For something to be effective, we need to see that X percent of vitamin C and then 10% of this and 5% of this. And we just had research that did not support that because we know that darker skin tone contrary to popular belief, are actually very sensitive and melanin plays a big role in that melanin is a protector to our skin. We have this melanin producing cell called melanocytes that are very robust and very active in people with darker skin tone. And so what happens is when your skin is subject to any kind of inflammation, right, it can be pollution, it can be the cold, it can be you popping your pimples, it can be a higher percentage acid. It can be mechanical exfoliation. All of that prompts your melanocytes to go into overdrive and start producing excess melanin to protect the inflamed area. And so when you understand the relationship between inflammation and hyperpigmentation, which is one of the biggest issues we have, obviously you have to align that in the way you create products, which is Yes, I want it to be effective, but I need to have a gentle, multi tiered approach and not go for that hero ingredient that is going to give results at first, but at some point would really backfire on the skin. So these were very important approaches that we had with our ingredients. And really, just doing that, we come at the end of it and you're like, oh, this is great. We have over 90% of natural biodynamic ingredients, the formulas are all. I don't like using the word clean because that term is very confusing to me, but it's very health-centric and there's nothing in it that can antagonize the skin. And that's really what we want. So how many products are in the line? Right now we have eight SKUs. So obviously coming from our customized system, we had the thousands of combinations possible with this SKU, but we have eight SKUs and the way we really built the line was for it to work as a team, and they're all perfectly dosed for you to stack the benefits without it being too much for your skin. So we have two cleansers. We have one cleanser that we call it come clean cleansing oil. This is like a treatment oil, concentration of over 10 precious natural oils. We've included anti-inflammatories, antioxidant, and we are using very mild emulsifiers for this oil. And what we wanted to do with this oil was to obviously make sure that you are cleaning the skin but in a way that is very gentle, that rebalances excess sebum, and in a way that really re-oxygenates your skin. Like We live in the cities. Pollution is very much embedded in what we do, obviously. (laughs) Having been someone who went through it, I always think about how pollution impacts the skin. So that's for the cleansing oil. And this is geared towards people with balance to dry skin. Our second cleanser is more for acne prone oily combination skin and that is Green Bay and this Green Bay is really offering very unique kind of a triple action to your cleansing experience. This is something that's going to really purge your pore from any impurities. This is going to Eliminate all traces of makeup, but also purify and clog the pores and tone the skin. In this, we have salicylic acid and citric acid. Recently, we started realizing that salicylic acid can sometimes be a bit antagonizing for darker skin. So we've moved to bio salicylates, which are a more natural form of salicylic acid. So it's a very, very gentle cleanser. It has cannabis oil, obviously, which is an amazing antioxidant. And this does wonder for those acne-prone skin. So those are the cleansers. We also have an exfoliating max. This is a very important product in the line. Exfoliation was something that we wanted to get right because Darker skin tones need exfoliation. Our skin metabolism tends to kind of slow down when we find ourselves in colder climates where we don't have enough sufficient sunlight energy, which means your natural exfoliation process slows down. If you combine that with the fact that we are prone to zegrosis, dehydration, that discommission happens. At a much higher rate, which is why we tend to get dull skin, you understand why having a system that can help buff away those dead skin, but also reboot the natural exfoliating system is so important. But we tend to overdo it. This is just something that we do in the community. We feel like those beads, like really exfoliating and that feeling it is what we need to do. And we learn that that's not quite the right way because that could trigger inflammation. And so we want to create really balanced exfoliator. So this is a chemical, but gently those chemicals and enzymes, enzymatic kind of exfoliator that's going to buff away those dead skin cell reboots, the natural exfoliation system. It has anti-inflammatory to kind of tone down that chemical effect and it's just comfortable for the skin. Like I just love this product, so gentle and so effective. And we also have an essence. We decided to make an essence because customers kept telling us that when we moisturize our skin, we use this oil and this oil. And I was like, wait, when we are thirsty, do we drink oil or do we drink water?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Very interesting.
0: Right, but why would it be different for the skin? But we do have this cultural belief that when the skin is dry, we put lots of oils and butter, which it does the job. It's one part of the many ways that you can hydrate the skin. But for, again, melanin root skin, you really need to think about giving the skin humectant, this like real nourishment that's going to help the natural moisturizing factor and increase that nutrition level deep down before you can put the occlusive and the oils and so we created the Skin reset essence as a way to really give you that reset and vitalization to your skin metabolism it's boosted by vitalized water we have nutrient-rich botanicals a lot of powerful humectant. It just kind of put the bounce back into that dehydrated skin and it doesn't have any drying agent. I mean, this is an amazing formula to kind of reveal that smoother, firmer, more youthful skin. And I'm giving the products as you kind of use them in the routine. Then we have 70 Delight. 70 Delight is major. It is our bestseller This is why customers come to us. And this is really part of the 456 identity, our mission, which is a lot about solving for hyperpigmentation. There's a lot of it that goes into these products. When I started looking for a solution for my hyperpigmentation, I saw that what the market offered was two things you could either get the serum that really doesn't do anything for you or you get one that's doing it but that's doing it too much it works at first and then you are getting even more hyperpigmentation after certain times and so we really wanted to find that balance and really go deeper into just understanding how melanogenesis work and how that complex that is and that there are many different pathways that melanin is produced. So if you use that one hero ingredient approach, which is what we see a lot, is vitamin C. And that doesn't quite give that sustainable result that we wanted. And so we wanted to create this very potent but well-balanced formula that tackle melanin production through different pathways. So we have many different active ingredients that are doing the job here obviously we have vitamin c because people love vitamin c so we had to do it with like a medley of vitamins so vitamin c vitamin b3 which is niacinamide vitamin b6 and what we saw is that obviously we know that all of these vitamins have a brightening effect but when you combine them they kind of boost each other's brightening effect stronger. So that was very interesting. We did it that way. We use Exil Resourcinol, which is an alternative to hydroquinone. We see a lot of customers coming to us and saying, I was prescribed 4% hydroquinone. And that always made me go, oh my God, like 4% For the whole face, for how long? (laughs) You know, that ingredient is known to have quite an impact on the skin and human health, and so we source for this active asil resorcinol, which is a natural brightening. It's as effective as hydroquinone, just without the negative side effects of it. We are using. A system called the hydro C appetite, where a medley of brighteners really help transform eumelanin the darker melanin, into failomelanin, which is the brighter kind of melanin to naturally reduce hyperpigmentation. It has glutathione. We added like acid because that really helps block the process in the formation of hyperpigmentation. And so it's really it has alpha-arbutin, but it's creating a system that is super strong but super gentle at the same time. So you increase the skin's acceptance of the products. And then, as we always do it with four, five, six, antioxidants, very important, anti inflammatory is very important, and hydration. And so, 70 Delight is like one of our hero, hero, hero products. We are always improving it, listening for feedback just to make sure that this formula continues to deliver for the customers and we recently released a new serum oil based because again customers are asking for retinoid we want a retinoid based <laughs> serum just studying retinoids and having used it myself and seeing the effect that it had on my skin i was like yeah probably not <laughs> and so we formulated max glow getter which is a firm radiant serum so it's both hyperpigmentation and kind of that you full next to it anti-aging and we're doing it not with retinol but with bakuchi oil which is a powerful but natural retinoid mimic sort of just gentler for the skin so a better option for darker skin tone again exil resorcinol and this one we added a lot of amazing nourishing skin barriers, strengthening active, like neem oil, nigella oil. It has coenzyme Q10, a lot of antioxidants. We are using a 100% plant-based silicone replacement because we don't want to use silicones. And this is becoming a very strong skew in the line as well. And then we have hack, which is our moisturizer. Again, hack was one of those products where we like wait we see that darker skin tone seems to have the skin that is oily, but it's actually dry. It's combination skin. Why is that happening? That happens because when your skin is dry, which we know the skin tend to be, it creates this defense mechanism where your sebaceous gland are prompted to produce more oil to respond as a response to the dryness. And so how do you create a moisturizer that can take away that excess oil without over the skin, how do you do that while sending the signal to the skin that you do not need to produce this much oil? And you actually do that through hydration. And so... This was a very complicated moisturizer to formulate and to get it to do the job on both sides, but it's an amazing product that you can also use as a primer for your skin. So that is the line. And this is the kind of product that we really want to keep creating for the community. We always go from the function of darker skin tone and the concerns that come from that and How can we create sustainable solutions? And the vision is really to kind of be that destination where men and women in our communities can go and know that they can find products that are truly, truly made for them. And we're really excited that thanks to our lab, we can continue to create more high-value products.
1: I love that you said there are many women of color who have oily, dry skin. Cause I'm one of them. Like, shine all over my face. Right before this, I was like, okay, I'll make sure I put some powder on before I do this. I think that while it does keep us youthful in some ways, it is a challenge because it's not like your whole skin is oily. It's just oily in part. And I love that the answer is hydration, because some people think oily skin, no hydration.
0: Oily yes, oils. <laughs> <laughs> Oily, yes oil.
1: (laughs) I love that. That's a good message for us as consumers as well. Talk to me about how you launched
0: it and then where the line is available. We've been D2C just doing customized skincare solutions since we soft launched. And what we've been doing is really iterating based on customers' feedback and gathering data. So two and a half years later, we have an amazing data. That's really talking to us. That's teaching us a lot. That's telling us when you want to create hyperpigmentation solution for a phototype five that has combination skin that is sensitive that lives in this city. This combination of customized products seems to be working well across the phototype four spectrum. But can you buy them in the United States or is it only in France? Absolutely. We ship to the United States every day and the products get there really fast. So now we have organized our retail line really based on our best performing customization combinations. We're going to come out with an amazing retail line in which we have so much confidence. We're more confident now because it's been validated by the community. And the retail line is going to consist of this product that I just presented to you, the best combinations in our customization system. And we are having amazing conversations right now with retailers. So more to come about that. Oh, fabulous, fabulous.
1: I just have two more questions. I mentioned when we would do the pre-interview that I really wanted to include like overcoming hard things. You've given examples throughout the episode, but what do you think the hardest thing that you had to overcome was in order to get four, five, six, and in order to launch this brand, to bring it to life and to become an entrepreneur?
0: I would say, bizarrely, the hardest thing was myself. It was my own self and my own negative self-talk and my limitations, my self-belief. That was the hardest, to be honest with you, because the rest was super harder. But I didn't know <laughs> when you are an entrepreneur at a later stage and you're kind of getting in an industry where you know some things, but you just quite don't know the entire process, which can seem very daunting and can discourage you. For me, I didn't know how hard it was going to be. So the challenges kind of came one after the other. And when I was facing them, I was like, yeah, this challenge, so let's go. (laughs) I couldn't see them coming. So when you are in the moment like that, you don't think about, is this hard? No, you go for it, you find a solution and that's it. And because we have so much to do. We have no idea the amount of work that goes to having this full of a process from the R&D to selling. We've been going from one challenge to another, so I haven't really had the time to kind of sit down and be like, what was complicated? What was difficult? Obviously, we had moments during COVID. I think COVID was really, really hard because we had a plan in place. We had found this amazing packaging manufacturer in Italy, We had just put down the deposit for the lab and the whole country shut down like a week after. And I think that was my biggest moment was like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Are we even going to get our money back? The packaging manufacturer is closed, so we don't have packaging. I don't even know if we're launching anymore. So that was a tough moment because we didn't expect it. It just kind of came. But we never have the time. And this is probably something that I need to change and kind of just sit down and look at the journey. But we never have the time to sit and say, is this hard or was that hard? Because the moment you're done solving one thing, another thing just comes right after and right after and right after. And so the difficulty ends up being really yourself is just, are you going to find that strength? to get yourself back up when you've been knocked down, when a plan didn't go as you wanted it to go? Are you going to find the detour, the pivot? What are you going to do now that they've said no to you? Are you still believing in yourself now that things are not going the way you want them to go? And I think this is the hardest part because the human mind, it gets involved in these things. And it's every day that your mind tells you, you should give this
1: thing up. That's a great answer and a very real answer that anybody who's listening to this would be able to kind of apply to themselves. I love the fact that you said when we're encountering challenges as business owners, we're not sitting there going, wow, that's challenging. You're looking more at what are we going to do so that we can get to the end? What solutions do we need to find because we're doing this as opposed to oh, this is hard. I'm going to lie down on the floor and not get out of bed or whatever. So I like that answer. And then my final question is, could you offer some tips on working with co-founders, finding and working with them?
0: Finding is the key part and it's easy to work with them. And I learned some lessons along the way, the tough way. I would say that when you're looking for a co-founder, at least that is the advice that I would give Noelle from two years ago. (laughs) do not let yourself be impressed by a resume because I did this and I was coming from a point of not trusting myself because I didn't have that background of I've spent 15 years in this big house and so I felt that I have what it takes to do this like I feel that I belong it was really that and so I felt that I needed to go after people that had that resume so that would make me look credible. And I kind of shut down my inner voice, which is really one of my superpowers. Like when I listen to myself, (laughs) it usually works for me. (laughs) And so when you operate that way, you can end up choosing what seems to be the right person but for the wrong reason. And then you completely forget to apply the selection process to them, which is when you are looking for that co-founder, you really need to make sure that you're sharing the same vision and that they really see your vision, really see it, and that they want to carry it out the same way. If you are someone that's trying to build a project for the long term and you get a co-founder that wants to exit in like three, five years you're not going to have the same in how you build things. So you need to make sure that you align with the vision and to which space you want to take the company and where you want to take it. You want to make sure that you give yourselves enough trial time. Don't do the, oh, it's been two weeks and we're vibing really well. So let's sign the contract. No, give it six months. (laughs) I'll even say, give it six months, sign a contract that allows you to be in this trial period so that you can ensure that, you are able to work well with this person that more importantly you are able to give each other feedback in a way that is real but respectful and you just want to make sure that you like this person (laughs) sometimes and that happens to me you get a co-founder and you're like i do not like this person i do not like them a lot and I'm finding myself having anxiety when we're going to meetings and I feel stressed and this is really blocking my creativity and I'm not feeling like this is my space (laughs) you know and that is really important to give yourself that time because you can then figure out in three six months like no this is an amazing person they have an amazing resume they have amazing skills but it's still not the right person for what I'm trying to do. And so ask for recommendations, ask around. If you find someone and you think that this could be the right person, I don't know, go on LinkedIn, ask them to give you references. Talk to their friends, talk to their wife if you meet them, really trying to figure out who they are as a person, because that is massive. When you're entrepreneurs, you go through so many challenges and hurdles and difficult times. If you are not aligned with your co-founder at a personal level, this could be like the most skilled person in the world. Things are just not going to work out. These are amazing tips.
1: Amazing tips. I love the idea of that you don't commit to somebody, just like you're going to get married after three months or the first date or something like that. The tip about the resume and getting references. Like you're hiring somebody for a job. You really need to do your due diligence, especially if you're gonna be working side by side because you don't want somebody that's going to diminish you. I think that's amazing. So thank you for those tips because they're great. I wanna ask how people get your products and how they can follow you on social. So if you could share both, that'd be great.
0: Yes, they can come to our website until we get out there in the retail space. What is the website? The website is 456skin.com. And then please follow us on Instagram at 456skin. And yes, this is where we are. We post a lot of educational content on our Instagram to really give you all of the great information you need to know about your skin, your your skincare. We have an amazing blog on the website that demystifies a lot about darker skin tones and our process. And if you have any questions, we do skin consultations as well. You can send us an email on hello at 456skin.com to ask for one on one consultations with one of our skincare specialists. That's fantastic.
1: For me, as somebody who's been in this industry for a while and a veteran, I learned something today and I love when I'm speaking to somebody and I learned quite a few things. I love the 456 commitment to the health of the skin and the environment, that you're not compromising on ingredients and that you took the leap to move to New York because if you didn't, it might have happened differently, but it put you on this path. So there are no accidents at all. I think it's a divine plan. And thank you so much for being here today. That's our show for today. Follow at start underscore right underscore here underscore podcast on Instagram. And check out the Last Word newsletter for my latest musings on beauty and inclusion.